I'm Shanna Merton, host of the Tech Tools for Teachers podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Coming up on episode 125 of Podcast PD, we are talking to Dr. Melissa Groff, who is our guest. She's a highly experienced educator with a passion for creating proactive school cultures through the implementation of restorative practices. Let's start the show. This is Podcast PD, the show that provides you with anytime, anywhere professional development. Our conversations and guests will provide you with the learning you might get in a faculty meeting or on a PD day. Except you're going to have more fun with AJ Bianco and me, Chris Nessie. Let's start the show. Hey, what's going on there, podcast people? This is episode 125. My name is Chris Nessie, at Mr. Nessie on Twitter, and I am joined, as always, by the podcast paisano himself, Mr. AJ Bianco. What's up, AJ? Christopher, it's good to see you again. I'm glad we can uh, record on, on this uh, February 2023. And it doesn't feel like uh, February. It feels like it's 60 degrees outside. Beautiful day. I got to do my weather update. It, it was you know? 60 degrees outside today, wasn't it? Dude, the sun was shining. Kids did not want to wear their jackets today. They were running around like maniacs outside. I woke up. Daniel had baseball this morning, right? And he's like, can we go? It's like 8.15. Baseball starts at 9. It's a six-minute drive. He's like, can we go? I'm like, buddy, we're going to be there like 45 minutes early. He goes, I don't care. He's like, I just need to do something. So we went outside and started playing basketball in a hoodie and shorts. And I'm like, okay, 35 degrees. He's playing basketball. And then it got nice and, and heated. So it's going to snow this week though. Shush. I don't want to hear that. We're so close. We need at least one storm because- No, no, no. No, we need one. We need one because if it snows during baseball season, we're really upset. That, <laughs> well, we, we've seen that before. I sure have. Opening day, 1996. Yeah, yeah. Uh, happy Sunday to Stephanie Scrocky hanging out in the chat. Uh, Mel A is joining us, and she's curious about your balloons, AJ. Talk about your balloons. Yeah, so behind me, there's two Valentine's Day balloons that the kids brought home. It's, it says, happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, Mel, we have this There's holiday a- in America. It's called Valentine. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know why they're there. I guess we don't have the heart well, to pop them. And they're hearts, too. Look at you. They are. They're hearts. Uh, oh, and Mel is still fascinated by the bed in the house of EdTech. <laughs> <laughs> it's not weird. No. It's my house. It's your, it's your office <laughs> slash I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So if you've never watched us live uh, and you're listening on the podcast side, yeah, there's a bed behind me. It is what it is. AJ's got balloons. I have a bed and the world goes round. <laughs> it goes round. Yes. All right. So so look, let, let's, let's get the show on the road. We got a, we got a special guest that we want to get going here because we don't want to take up too much time. So let, let us introduce. Yes, Chris, should we do this? Yeah, go ahead. Introduce her. All right. So today, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to Dr. Melissa Groff. Uh, she is our guest and it's going to be a great conversation. She's a highly experienced educator with a passion for creating proactive school cultures through the implementation of restorative practices, leadership coaching, and mentorship and job embedded coaching. Additionally, Melissa's efforts showcase her strong commitment to mental health support for both students and staff, emphasizing the crucial role 
of a safe and supportive environment in schools. She has nearly two decades of experience in the field, and she has honed her skills in conducting comprehensive needs assessments, crafting effective strategic plans, and delivering the necessary support to facilitate the development of a proactive culture within the school community. We are thrilled to have her with us today to share her insights on overcoming challenges in education and creating a positive, proactive school culture. Welcome to Podcast PD, Melissa. Hello, guys. Uh, Melissa, Dr. Grav, it's so great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. I know I reached out a while back and, you know, Chris and I kind of shifted. We used to do this every other week. Now we're doing once a month. So I'm glad we can get you on the show. Uh, we're excited to have you. Why don't you kind of tell everybody about yourself besides the bio that we just read? Sure. Yeah. So um, I started my career in education in the state of North Carolina. I was a teacher at first. Um, I started in the elementary setting in fifth grade. And then as I finished my first year of teaching, I was the teacher that started in the middle of the school year. So that brought its own challenges. Um, as I finished my first school year, we decided, the district decided to keep sixth grade at my school. So I did a little bit of fifth and sixth grade and some departmentalized work. And I was there for about five or six years until I decided to do the North Carolina Principal Fellowship Program, um, where I went and got my master's degree under a principal fellows program, we were able to take the couple years off and really be in the schools doing internship hours and things like that. So I spent a couple years doing that. And then um, my husband was in the Marine Corps. So we got moved to Pensacola, Florida. And here in Pensacola is where I started as an instructional coach, spent a couple years doing that, moved to assistant principal for a couple of years. And then for the last seven years, I have been a principal at a Title I elementary school in right in the city of Pensacola. Um, tough school, tough, tough district that we work in. Um, but it, it was a very enjoyable experience for me. However, I did end up walking away from that experience within the last um, couple of months. I ended in January my position as principal and I am now working as the director of operations and a lead consultant for what was formerly the restorative group, but is now called High Five. That's excellent. Thank you so much for sharing. And Melissa, that's one of the reasons why you know, I reached out to you as an assistant principal and somebody who kind of has the aspiration to jump up into principalship one day. You know, I, I felt your story was so powerful because I'll be honest, and Chris knows this, and I've kind of shared the last time, this year has been like a mental disaster for me, like with the behavior and and the way students are are acting towards each other. You know, I, I was at my wits end and I, and I was like, this is on me. I put a lot of it on me as the assistant principal dealing with behavior and not making changes. You know, so I, I felt like this is a great conversation. And, you know, the title of the episode we're focusing on here is Overcoming Obstacles in Education. So why don't we start? What are some of the biggest obstacles that, you know, you noticed and that you can talk about since you're doing this new role? Sure, sure. So, um, I would say in about 2019 is when I started to recognize some changes in behaviors for students. I started my work for my doc for my doctorate in the year 2018 and around October. And I really thought as I went to get my doctorate that I was going to be focusing on teacher professional development because that was my passion. I really loved providing professional development, finding the areas that teachers needed development and, and finding the resources to give them that. Um, but it was during the beginning of that research that I was doing that I found that behaviors, just like you said, were starting to be a struggle. Um, in the year 2020, when 
COVID hit is when, you know, it really started to amp up. And so we started to see that with the, uh, the lack of accountability for being at school or not at school, the remote thing, all of those challenges that came. And then as we came back, you know, we're facing so many struggles and barriers that it just kind of magnified the behaviors that we're facing when you're facing um, a, a lack of teachers to begin with. And they're, they're not trained. They don't have that background. We're hiring great people that are alternatively certified potentially, but don't have that background on classroom management and especially don't have the skill set um, or or background to be able to pour into the behaviors that they're facing there in the classroom. Um, so behavior became kind of my thing in 2020. And I started really focusing on um, what what was going to help us overcome that and, and how would we do that? And so um, it started with culture of school and just, you know, kind of going from there. But I would say that behavior really frames some of the biggest uh, barriers right now. And then you add, like I said, you add in the the lack of personnel, you add in the lack of substitutes. Um, And then, and then I think the biggest thing is that the accountability system for achievement does not talk to the the other things that are going on, the behavior, the the HR, the staffing, those kinds of things. And so when those two pieces don't go together, you're working in two different silos that very well could be sometimes going against each other, you know, sometimes not talking to each other. Um, The support for behavior and for those barriers related to behavior isn't there as much as it is there for achievement. When you talk about, I was a Title I school, so when you talk about Title I funding, they don't allow you to spend Title I funds on certain issues that are real issues within the school. So that's really um, kind of where some of my skills were exasperated during the last few years and where we really had to place our focus, which ultimately you know, causes some issues with student achievement and, um, you know, the accountability aspect of education. Now, I want to jump in, Chris. I know you had a question, but I, I want to jump in real quick. Are these things that you noticed prior to the pandemic and they've gotten worse? Or is this like since the pandemic, like all of a sudden, like the, the change is just too drastic? I I think it, it was a slow start prior to the pandemic. And I don't think we would be realizing it quite as quickly even though it's been three years quite as quickly as, as we have been. Um, I, I feel like your efforts back in 2018, you felt like you could have some triumphs. You felt like there was some success to see in all areas. And then afterwards, they're just, it just feels like you're throwing solutions at problems and never getting anywhere and constantly kind of stuck in a hamster wheel. Melissa, I'm curious to know, and I am not, an administrator. I am a classroom teacher. And I'm curious to know what were some of the, if you could give an example of a specific obstacle that you had faced pre-pandemic and some of the ways you tried to to solve that and maybe something that worked and maybe something that did work. Sure. So um, I would say pre-pandemic, one of our biggest focuses was being able to provide teachers with the professional development that was specific to them, 
not doing a one-size-fits-all approach. And I think that was kind of the, the feeling for students too. And so you were trying to model that outside of the classroom for the teachers, trying to provide them with development that they bought into and things that they really wanted to see implemented within their classroom. And so um, once I was able to build a great culture in my school that I was at and really create that family sense of culture within the school and the buy-in from the teachers that they wanted to learn new things and increase their skill set, we were able to implement gamified professional development. And that was very, very successful in my school at that time. We were able to provide um, resources and courses and ideas and collaboration around pretty much anything that a teacher wanted to learn about. Um, And that was a very successful thing that we had going on for us. It did not continue post-pandemic because there were far too many other things that, that got our attention. But that was one area that I felt that our teachers needed stop the one size fits all approach, find things that they can specifically choose and be a part of and grow themselves. Um, and, and they wanted to, and they were excited about it. And we did so many cool things. We did March Madness where we had teams within the school and did the goose chase. And I I think the culture for learning amongst the the educators in our building was there. When you talk about Professional development. I'm. I'm sorry, AJ. I got. I'm gonna. I'm gonna follow up. Um, gamifying the PD for teachers and making it relevant. I'm curious to know how did you, as a school administrator, get your PD because you're charged with providing and orchestrating the professional development for the staff. How are you getting your opportunities when you were the building principal? Well, I had to seek them and find them myself. They were not provided for me. Um, And I think that that's part of the trouble is that as a school administrator, we're pouring so heavily into the professional development for others. And we we either neglect ourselves or we are being neglected. Um, So I personally, I, I did the, I was on Twitter. I did the ed chat. Um, I followed all the different chats that were going on on all the different nights. Um, I did a couple of different book studies, pulled my staff into that. A lot of the time when I was learning, I just was very transparent and vulnerable with my staff and let them know that it was a book that I was currently reading. And if anybody wanted to jump in and be a part of it, then we could do it together. And a lot of times that kind of thing worked out. Um, I'm a strong believer in doing things with people, whether it's teacher with students or administrator with teachers. Um, We just need to be side-by-side learning. So because it wasn't there for me and going to a principal's meeting didn't really provide me with the kind of professional development I was seeking, I absolutely had to seek it myself. And so it was, you know, through Twitter, through the Facebook principal groups, and then right there alongside my staff. And that's not easy. And again, there's a lot of administrators that feel they can't even do as much as that. And I I think that's one of the bigger negatives in education for as long as I've been in it is where do our leaders get their opportunities to learn and grow? Because when you're not in the building, oh no, what's going to happen? So, you know, you kind of feel that guilt of if I leave, can I go to a conference? Can I do these things? So I understand. Right, (laughs) right. And, you know, that's funny because I've been saying here lately, who leads the leaders? 
you know, and, and it's not, it's not from a standpoint of, you know, a diplomatic leadership kind of thing. It's not, you know, top down approach, which is what it often becomes because the leaders don't have that model to look at to see this is how we're supposed to lead. It's really that authentic leadership of, of being right there and showing your vulnerability and, and, you know, just speaking out and saying, Hey, I don't know a whole lot about this. I want to learn it myself. And that piece is definitely missing. You know, I, I feel like the PD point is just, is just so important to talk about right now. Cause I feel like the excuse is still there three years later. I'm just so tired. You know, you're tired. I'm tired. Chris is tired. You know, my wife's an educator. She's tired. Like, we're exhausted and, and, and everybody's doing a lot, but I, I think there has to be a way and there has to be a balance. And, and one of the biggest obstacles I can see is nobody is going above and beyond to continue that learning. You know, and I, I think a lot of people are just stopping now. You know, we, we see all these different articles that are coming from the business world with this quiet quitting and, and these other things that are standing out, you know, and it's like, well, my job is done. I'm, I'm going to go home. I want my work to stop when the workday stops. You know, teachers, a, a lot of teachers take pride in the fact that they go home, they work extra hours, they grade papers, and they, they do these extra things. I, I feel like right now we're, we're not at that point yet where they, everybody, they, education as a whole, wants to do more. You know, when I get home, my phone buzzes, I'm checking an email, it's late at night, you know, just in our role, that's, I feel like it's what we do. So wh- where, where do we go from here? How do we, how do we get education to a place where that obstacle is cleared, where we want to take that learning into our own hands again. We want to be excited about PD and we want to continue these conferences and, and these book groups and these chats and these podcast groups. And we used to do so much, but we, we've lost that traction because we're tired. So how do we clear that obstacle and get everybody on board? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think that, you know, if you think back to when we shut down, had we used that opportunity to reset and and to really think about where our priorities were and just truly resetting and getting back on the proactive side of things, then we could be in a place where we aren't so tired. Right now, I think the problem is, is that the accountability levels didn't change. The, the bar is still where it was. And I don't have a problem with a bar being set high because we, we do need to set the bar high. But we also need to be realistic and we need to understand that we had at least two years of interrupted learning and that we need to tone it down a little bit. We need to back off just a little bit, make room for the social emotional learning, make room for the mental health supports that are currently missing and stop pushing the academics and the achievements so hard that the teachers literally do not have any more time to do it because there so much is being shoved down their throats, which they then have to turn and and deliver to the students. And I just don't know that there is the time or space for it right now because the expectations are still where they were and the gap between where students are in comparison to that expectation just keeps getting wider and wider right now. I just want to go back for one second, Melissa, when you said who leads the leaders? And I think that is a fantastic question. And again, I, I don't bring it up because I think there's an answer. Um, but I just wanted to point out that I really like that question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I also like to say who who's the cheerleader for the leaders too, you know, because the job of a school administrator, as you know, AJ, is 
it's lonely. It's, it's very lonely. You're all by yourself. You're making decisions. Who's, who's rooting you on behind the scenes and um, acknowledging the efforts that you take and, you know, giving you the, the pros and the cons and the, the constructive criticism and those kinds of things. I, I think that leading the leaders and cheerleading for them is extremely important right now. I, I will say as a classroom teacher, I do make a point of cheering for my leaders, right? You know, I, I'm, I, I always make comments like, you know, Hey, you know, I, I know that it can't be easy to, you know, make this decision or do that. Or, you know, I, I know that a VP in my building is one who is responsible for the most part for doing all the teacher schedules. So when everybody else is complaining at the beginning of the year, you know, I, I try to make a point to go and say, Hey, I know that what you do is thankless. So I'm just gonna say, thank you. Like I've got a classroom. I got a schedule. Life is good. Um, so I, I, I try and I know there's other teachers that, that I work with that do try to show that appreciation. And I'm sure in every school, there is that pocket of teachers who are trying to like, do what you say, cheer on the leaders, but you know, it is one of the thankless jobs in education because as I say, heavy is the head that wears the crown. If you are the superintendent, the building principal, and you know, you're just trying to make decisions. So you don't get sued is basically what it comes right. down to. Right. That's thanks, Chris. That's always, it's always my favorite. And, and you know, it's like they, people come up to you and say, oh, your job is pretty tough. I wouldn't want to do that. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> Appreciate that. Oh, people tell me all the time, oh, Chris, you, maybe you should go get your administrator. I'm like, nope, I've seen the boss's job. I don't want yeah. it. Right. <laughs> that's different. That's different. All right. So before we have an awkward silence, that's even longer than that. Um, <laughs> what what does education look like to you going forward, Melissa? Where, where, do, where do you see us going from this point? Hmm. Another great question. Um, where I would like to see us going is to a place where teachers are trained and given the time and opportunity to figure out the relationships, the community aspect, the mental health supports within their building um, for their classrooms, for their children, um, putting a heavier focus on proactive support on relationship building, on providing classroom communities. That's that's where it needs to go first. It, once we can be sure that everybody knows how to provide a pro- proactive community within their school, within their classroom, then I think we can start looking into what's next for school accountability, what's next for academics, what's next for the curriculum that we use, and those kinds of things. I I think that we just have to really take a step back and look at the state of education, the state of children in America and the state of, you know, we can sit here and we can blame all day long. Like the parents aren't, the parents are supposed to give the social emotional learning or the parents need to be in there more, you know, all the different reasons why we shouldn't do those things. But the reality is, is that we are dealing with children that come to us that have have limited vocabulary that have been on iPhones since you know five six months old that um, their parents are sometimes most of the time doing the very best that they can do and um, we have to adjust accordingly because the system that once worked no longer is supporting the kinds of students that we're facing and if, if that means a different kind of teacher ed training to begin with 
then then maybe that's where we need to go. Um, but I just really think that we need to take a look at social emotional learning, the soft skills, the mental health, and and make sure that the schools are equipped to handle those things first. Well said. I wish we could come up with the the uh, the magic formula to make that happen. Right. What's the program? <laughs> <laughs> that that that's the billion dollar idea. Is how do we make it happen? Right. <laughs> um, Melissa, if you feel comfortable, I know that your decision to leave the principalship and go on a a new but also related to education path could not have been an easy one to make. I don't imagine it was a snap decision. Uh, would you feel comfortable talking about what went into that decision for you to step away from the principalship in your school and take a slightly different path? Yeah, sure. Um, so I I asked about a year and a half ago, I had let my superintendent know that I wanted to move to a different school. Um, I started to recognize in myself where, you know, I talked about being on Twitter and and doing book studies and all of those things, I started to recognize in myself that I wasn't as passionate as I once was. I started to realize that I was getting burnt out. Um, I think, you know, of course, the pandemic things exasperated it. Waking up in the morning and having to try and figure out how to cover five different classrooms and bearing that burden of putting extra students in classrooms every single day because I had to split classes because I did not have the personnel to cover it. It, it just took the life out of me, really. And so I, I saw it at first as, well, maybe if I just change to a different school and put my eyes on a different school and just get a new experience, let somebody else come in here. Maybe I'm just, you know, too used to things around here. I just need a different experience. So I did ask to move um, and it just wasn't in the cards at the end of last school year for me to be able to move. And um, I, as we started this new current school year, we, my school ended up on, we get letter grades here. And so we ended up being a D school after historically being a C for years and years and years. Um, so we landed on the state's list for improvement and we had to go through some of the Bureau of School Improvement things that come with that. It wasn't threatening. It wasn't a blame game. I didn't feel like I was being told that it was all my fault or anything like that. But what I did feel is that the reaction to a D school two years post-pandemic was a little intense. It was a little much. Um, the expectation for prescriptive lesson plans and scripted um, scripted delivery of everything was was too much for me to ask my teachers to do. And so as I had to keep on putting things on their plates and I would take, you know, a day or so to really digest it and figure out how can I best give this to these teachers and let them know that, yeah, it is an expectation. We have to do it. Um, but here's how I'm going to support you through that. I just kind of got to a place where I just couldn't support them anymore because the expectations were out of my control and the the hours that they were being asked to spend after contract hours on the premise that they were being paid for it. And they didn't want to, you know, they wanted to be home. They wanted to go home to their families and then they're still taking things out and working from home. So we had our first instructional review in October and it went very well, but I was also given a PowerPoint presentation that I had to use to deliver in that meeting. And 
um, it just made me feel scripted. And I kind of walked away from that meeting thinking, if I feel like this right now, that's how my teachers are feeling every day because that's what they're being asked to do. And the takeaway from that meeting was that teachers aren't internalizing their lessons enough. Well, how are you supposed to internalize a lesson that's scripted, right? So I, um, I just kind of felt like that was the defining moment. That was the line in the sand that I just cannot continue to stand by accountability expectations and um, a lack of autonomy for our educators and not speak up and not be able to do anything about it. And I had spoken up, but I wasn't getting anywhere. So I just felt like it was absolutely my time. My mental health was struggling. I had gone through some some major mental health things myself just because of the internal struggle with what was going on. Um, but you know, of course, lots and lots of things play into it, but that's where I can really put my finger on the defining moment. No, I, I, I think that's, that's beyond powerful because, you know, I'm sure there's others out there who are feeling the same way that you are and, you know, trying to turn to somebody to talk to and listen to and find a solution. And unfortunately, there's not always a solution. I, I think, you know, how you handle it, I think is, 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 is fair. You, you have to do what's best for you in the moment and what's best for your family. Um, yeah. I'm sure your staff was upset to see you go, but I'm sure if they had the opportunity, I'm sure a lot of them would be right behind you. So they, Exactly. That's exactly uh, right. It almost brings I, up a, I think it's a, a third question of, you know, we, we talked about who leads the leaders, who cheers on the leaders and who do leaders lean on, right? As a teacher, I know I've got my core group of teacher friends at school that I can commiserate with and we can kind of lean on each other and pick each other up. Uh, but you know, for both of you, like who, who, like Melissa, who, who were you able to lean on during this time or in these last couple of years? And, you know, AJ, as an administrator, who, who do you go to? Who do you lean on? So I, I personally believe very much in collective efficacy. I believe in that, that agency within the building. And, and I understand that there have to be boundaries between administration and the teachers, but I had a great core group leadership team. It was my MTSS team. It consisted of a, a school counselor and a RTI coordinator and the assistant principal and a curriculum coordinator and an instructional coach. And those were my people. Um, I, I really feel very strongly about including all of those players in decision-making. And a lot of leaders don't feel that way or they don't operate that way. Um, but it, it's almost it's almost like a, a symptom of not having anyone to lean on. Well, you've got you've got to you've got to create your team, and you've got to have people that you can trust. You can still have some boundaries, but you're going to trust them. You're going to be vulnerable in front of them. And I also very strongly believe that it's okay as an administrator to be vulnerable in front of your staff. My staff has, saw me cry. They knew when I was struggling. They knew when I was hurting. They saw me running across the building when we were chasing behaviors. Um, I don't really think that it, I think that it makes it lonelier to hide things and to try and appear super strong and, and like, the, you know, the strongest, most intelligent person in the building. That's just not how I operated. So, you know, of course you have your other principals, but they're not right there with you every day. They don't know what, what's going on. So you have to find somehow that core group within your building that you can lean on. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I might be a little different in some of the aspects you mentioned, but you know, it's so, it's so hard to turn outside of the schools because, you know, we talk about Twitter all the time and, and Chris, you know how, where this is going to go, you know, 
that toxic positivity that we see in social media is just too much sometimes. You know, even when you, you, you think you have someone there that you can count on, that's ah, it'll pass. You know, this this is what we do here. Like, well, what you do there is not what I do in my school. So, you know, I can't always uh, judge, you know, what, what's going on. But but that that team is so important. And I think, you know, the relationship that I have with the principal that I work with, you know, we talk things out. We can tell when, when one of us is doing too much or going down the wrong hole. So I, I think that team is so important that, that you can have them to rely on. I didn't like sharing a lot with my staff. If there was an issue, I try to hide it from them because I want them to feel pretty comfortable with, with what they're doing. But there were those select moments and those select teachers where I would kind of go above and beyond and be like, Here, here's what's going on right now that you should know about. You know, and then they can kind of see like, why, why do you look like that? Why do you look so tired? Why do you look like you're running around? How come you're not smiling today? You know, all those different things, you know, so there's those select moments uh, I think are really important to find the team that you. Yep, absolutely. What are you going to say, Chris? You had something. I saw you had something there. No, Go ahead. I was going to ask if there were any other stones we wanted to turn over or where else would we like to go with this conversation? I, I think Melissa, the biggest thing, what, what's your goal now in the role that you're, that you're taking? What, what do you want to do long-term? Long-term, I want to help leaders create the kinds of environments that schools should be so that teachers can then create those kinds of environments within their classrooms. Um, I, I've heard lately that a teacher's work environment becomes a child's learning environment. And that is that is where I really have a passion for is that school culture piece um, but but really not just from the school level administrator level. It's the it's the district level. It's how do we coach superintendents and directors and you know whatever those titles are to create the kind of culture that trickles down into the classroom. Um, and and I'm not saying that it's broken everywhere, but I think with all of the challenges we have up against us, we can unite on a lot of negativity right now. Um, but we need to find a way to unite on more positive things and unite on cheering each other on and, you know, having a culture that supports that piece. That's, that's where I see myself long-term. That very much, and AJ, I think you'll agree, that very much sounds like some sentiment from Simon Sinek, where as a leader, you're responsible for the people, right? So if you're the superintendent, you're not responsible for the experience of the students. You haven't been in a classroom in 10 or 15 years. You're responsible for the people in central office who are then responsible for the supervisors, who are then responsible for the administrators, who then as a building administrator, you're responsible for the teachers and then let the teachers be responsible for the kids. And if you can get that chain correct and effective and you know, everybody is pulling in the same direction, then you're going to have a positive experience for everybody right on down the line, ultimately impacting our kids. Exactly. That's, that's exactly it. And it's about Uh, people. Sorry. It's people, it's relationships. It's, Uh and and AJ, we've talked about this here before, the human Mm -hmm. element. Mm -hmm. We're all people, except for the androids. (laughs) Who are coming more and more every every day. Yes. (laughs) Right. All right, Melissa, last question for me, and it's going to be the most, uh, pressured question. Do you ever see yourself going back to school leadership? Sometimes. Mm. Um, so I don't know for sure. I can't, I can't see the future, but I will say this. I have had 
the pleasure of working with several schools and districts across the U.S. in the last few weeks. And when I see district-level administrators part of schools' virtual meetings and being a part of creating change within schools and doing comprehensive needs assessments with them and setting their actionable goals and and showing that they really know the people that, that they work with, and then hearing from principals the things that they're excited about within their schools and just kind of seeing the differences between districts and schools. I don't, I can't say that it's off limits. I think that if, if I were to move away and, and go somewhere else, then I probably would explore the possibility. I absolutely miss being with children and, and adults all day. Um, but I just can't say for sure whether that's where I'll go or not, but I'm not closing that door completely. Good for you because the way the way you sound, I still think you can make a tremendous difference to the lives of students and teachers. So you keep doing what you're doing now and, and hopefully that door will open again for you. Thank you. Melissa, for the person who's listening to this, who wants to get in touch with you and learn from you or maybe bring you to their school or their district, how can they do that? What are the best ways to connect with you? So you can connect with me um, on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok as at the Groffis. Um, I think there's an underscore in there, the underscore Groffis. And then um, you can also visit my website, thegroffis.org, and you can fill out a form on there. And also I do work for High Five, which is a restorative discipline company. Um, we do consulting. We have an app for behavior tracking. And so you can visit highfive.school to find out a little bit more about restorative discipline practices in the school. Awesome. And we'll also have her contact information that she just mentioned in our show notes, and that'll be out at podcastpd.com slash 125. All right, AJ, before we do our what we're listening to, we're going to take a moment to thank our executive producers. So hopefully, AJ, you're looking at the show notes and we can do this together. Do you find value in our conversations on Podcast PD? Do you want to support our efforts in creating quality content for you? Well, you can. You can give back to Podcast PD on a monthly or yearly basis. By giving just $10 per month or $100 for the year, you can help us continue bringing you insightful and engaging conversations. And as a thank you, all executive producers will receive an exclusive Podcast PD executive producer sticker. And that's not all. If you are a yearly supporter, you will also receive a Podcast PD mug and a t-shirt. Visit podcastpd.com slash executive producer for more information on how you can become an executive producer and give back to the show. You can join our current executive producers, including Holly Landez, Sandy Hartman, and Stephanie Scrocky. So why wait? Head to podcastpd.com slash executive producer and become an executive producer today. All right. It's time for what are we listening to? And I'm going to go first because AJ sometimes comes ill-prepared for this segment. <laughs> so I recently listened to a great episode of the podcast Throughline, which is my go-to history podcast as a history teacher. And this episode of Throughline is titled The Whiteness Myth. This episode of Throughline explores the case of Bhagat Singh Thind, an Indian American man who argued before the U.S. Supreme Court in 1923 that he was a white man and therefore eligible for naturalized citizenship. His claim was based on the Indo-European language theory, 
which proposes that nearly half of the world's population speaks a language originating in one place and inspired a racist ideology that defined whiteness. The podcast episode delves into the myths surrounding this idea and discusses the politics and potential of the mother tongue. It was a fascinating episode. And thanks for calling me out, Chris. I appreciate it. I am not (laughs) ill-prepared. I just did not put in the show notes. I listened to legit 30 podcasts this past week from being home from vacation, from sitting home with my sick daughter and doing things around the house. So I ran the gamut of podcasts. So I'll give you one. All right. Give me one. Let's go. There we go. So we're going to go with Everybody Pulls the Tarp. I think I've mentioned this podcast before. Um, I don't know the episode number and that's just too bad. It's from February and it's with uh, fifth and sixth grade teacher, Betsy Julian. Uh, And this is an episode where Betsy's classes raised over $500,000. And I thought it was a great episode. So here's a rundown of it. This week, Andrew talks with elementary school teacher, Betsy Julian. Betsy's fifth and sixth grade class has raised over $500,000 to build a wheelchair accessible playground at their school. Wow. Betsy seamlessly integrated the funding project into her lesson plans and her 25 students rallied together to support their friends who use wheelchairs. The conversation is filled with timeless lessons about leadership, teamwork, and what's possible when people come together above all else to help others. It's a powerful reminder that sometimes the best place to look for a solution to a big challenge is our youngest generation. I'm telling you, this episode was fantastic because it was real. The, the connection to the students and to the teacher makes this so meaningful. And the lesson plan, everything was, was not like, hey, let's do something for community. It was let's do something for our friend in that classroom right there who is in need. And they, they, they were only going to raise, I think it was like $30,000. And they ended up getting $500,000 in a span of weeks. That must be some playground they're going to build. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it was, it's powerful. So there, how about that for being prepared? Th- that is prepared. And there will be a link to that in our show notes. And Melissa, we, yes. we posed this little game to you before we started. So is there a podcast or a podcast episode you would like to recommend? Sure. So I recently listened to The Flywheel Effect. It's episode number 25, Districts and the Connection Between Behavior, Social Media, and SEL. And it features a district level administrator that really pushes for, um, she is the chief student support officer for Fayette County Public Schools in Kentucky. And she explores the essential role of district behavior support, social media, and SEL in creating positive learning environments. Awesome. And you said that was episode 25? Yep. Perfect. All right. That's a great show, by the way. And I, I, lo- I love Jordan. Jordan does a great job on there. So Flywheel Effect is one they should definitely check out if you have not checked that out before. Awesome. Okay, so those will all be in the show notes at podcastpd.com slash 125. So check out Throughline, check out Everybody Pulls the Tarp, and the Flywheel Effect. All right. Well, Melissa, I hope you had fun with us tonight. I did. I had very much fun. Thank you for having me. AJ, did you have fun? I always have fun. (laughs) We do. When we podcast, good things happen. Right. Right. When we have time to sit down, like when we're fighting kids to go to bed, quarter to nine on a school night. Always gets a little difficult, but yeah. it was a good time. <laughs> I look forward to the next one. Yes. All right. So get us your thoughts about the conversations that we've been sharing. You can email us feedback at podcastpd.com, or you can send us a voice message, go to podcastpd.com slash feedback, or you can join us on the next live stream 
That'll come your way on Sunday, March 26th, 2023, for episode 126, when we will be providing you with some great anytime, anywhere professional development. Make sure you connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at PodcastPD. And AJ, tell them about our text initiative. And Chris loves his text initiative. So we're doing our texting through Remind. So if you would like to join us and be part of the Podcast PD community and get a text from us when episodes are live and when cool things are happening, feel free to text us at Podcast PD as your message. And when you send it to somebody, send it to 81010. And of course, before we say goodbye, we do want to remind you, haha, that we have our new Discord community. So go to podcastpd.com slash discord and that community is growing and we want to connect with you between the episodes since we're now doing this program every month and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the end of March. Melissa, thank you again. Thank you both. AJ, I'll see you soon. We'll speak, I'm sure. <laughs> and thanks to everybody who hung out, with, hung out with us in the chat tonight. Stephanie Scrocky, Mel A was here and that was it. So thank you. We'll see you next time. Wave goodbye. Have a great week. Thank you for checking out this episode of Podcast PD. For links to everything that we discussed in this episode, you can visit the show notes at our website, podcastpd.com. To connect with the show on social media, we are at Podcast PD on Instagram and Twitter, and we share using the hashtag podcast pd to connect with aj and myself we are on twitter at mr nessie and at aj bianco we would love to hear from you so please go to podcastpd.com slash feedback and send us an email send us a voice message whatever you need to do also if you enjoyed this podcast make sure you share it with somebody that you think would get value from it word of mouth is the best way to share a podcast you enjoy and we hope you enjoyed podcast pd we appreciate you listening, we appreciate your sharing, and we love creating this podcast for you. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care. <laughs>